And let me ask you to reach for a Bible and turn to page 850, if you're in one of our Bibles, page 850. That's Mark chapter 13. In a few moments, um, Scott Hamilton, one of our elders and a minister in training, is going to come and teach God's Word to us. But I'm going to pray and read the passage before he comes. Let me pray. Our Father, we ask again, remembering that Jesus is Lord of all, the past, the present, and the future, remembering that he will come again, and remembering that we need to be ready, that by your Spirit you would speak to us now through the words of the Bible and through Scott's word as he preaches it to us. We pray that we might meet with you and that you might prepare us for the day when we see you face to face. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 13 then, I'm going to read from verse 24 to 37. Jesus teaching uh, his disciples says, But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the cock crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all. Stay awake. Thank you, Paul, for praying and for reading. Uh, Please keep Mark chapter 13 open in front of you. That'll be a big help for us as we study it together. On the 9th of November, 1989, across the world, millions of people are sat at home around their television screens watching the beginning of the collapse of the Berlin Wall. It's a global event that simply cannot be missed. It's all over the media. Its historical significance is being analyzed endlessly. It truly is the end of one era and the beginning of another. It was a moment that some opposed, but a moment that brings renewal at least a temporary peace to a war-torn city, country, and continent. It's a moment that silences the proponents of war. 
ends years of bitter strife and division, the moment where countless wrongs are not forgotten, but brought to something of a resolution. And as I watched footage this past week, as I looked through photo albums of the days and the months as the wall slowly came down and as the two sides of the city slowly reunited, what struck me was the sheer quantity of people standing there waiting. Standing there waiting and celebrating. And when the news was announced, months in advance of the wall coming down completely in its entirety, people were already beginning to live in hope and expectation of what was to come. And in our verses this evening, in Mark chapter 13, Jesus is explaining to his disciples what the future brings for his people. And as he continues to spell out what the future holds, he announces another global event, one that cannot be missed. He announces the end of one era, the end of one world, and renewal, the beginning of another. A moment in history that will bring a final end to strife and division, not a temporary one, but a lasting one. See, we heard last week Jesus explained to his people that he will not indefinitely tolerate manipulation and corruption of his words or his people. He will not indefinitely tolerate false religion And so he announces his judgment on the temple and then announces his judgment on this world, both of which are to come to an end. See, last week, as we listened in, his disciples learned that the fall of the temple at the hands of Rome, that was just around the corner. But it was all completely within the knowledge and the control of the king of God's people. A prediction made with an accuracy and an authority that Jesus really is the Lord of everything, as we've been thinking about already, past, the present, and future. And the other thing that the disciples learned was the reality of their lives as his followers. Jesus, again with an accuracy, again with an authority that only God could ever display, warns his people that in this world they will face destruction, despair, and death at the hands of the people who will hate the disciples because they, disciples that is, believe in the name of Jesus. The same Jesus that the world also hated. And again, the good news is that none of this comes outside of Jesus' control and that this war between the world and God's followers will one day come to a conclusion, a dramatic one. And that will happen Verse 26, when Jesus returns. It's a moment that we haven't yet seen in history. A moment for which he tells his people to stay awake. There are three moments that he commands his followers to do that. You might have seen that as we read through the verses. You'll read those words in verse 33. And again in verse 35. And then once more in verse 37. See, the return of Jesus is the hope of every single believer, every single Christian. It's the sure and certain hope that this world will not be the final chapter in our story, but that there is another chapter to come when Jesus returns to gather his people back to him. It's not a moment that God's people will be able to miss. 
nor is it a moment that God's people want to miss. Nor is it a moment that God's people will want to catch them unaware. Hence Jesus' warning to his people. See, it's tempting for us, I think, whether 2,000 years ago as a disciple or whether today as a disciple, to be faced with the spiritual, the emotional, and at times physical trauma of following Jesus in a world that despises him, and for us to slide into a sort of spiritual numbness, a weariness that might make our shoulders sag, our eyelids droop, a life that makes us wonder whether or not following Jesus really is worth it to the end, or whether or not following Jesus means that he really has the power to save his people. I can easily imagine the temptation as I stand in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago as one of Jesus' followers looking at the ruins of the temple. And I don't need to imagine the same temptation today as I know the struggles of Christ's followers in our day and age, constantly bumping into the fragments of a broken world. Wars, disasters on our news feeds, broken relationships within and out with our families and churches, religious individuals trying to move us away from Jesus, beyond the gospel. And Jesus' command as our kind shepherd and loving king is for us to keep our eyes open. Stay awake, he says. There are three reasons why, which we'll look at in turn this evening. And the first is in verses 24 to 27, where Jesus says, stay awake, this age will end. Stay awake, this age will end. Let me read verse 24 again. In those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. It's language that deliberately reminds us of Genesis as we think about God's creative power on display once again as the world is renewed. But these words are words that we might remember from our series in Joel on a Sunday morning. The prophet speaks three times in the book of that day, a day coming when the sun and moon will be darkened, when the stars withdraw their shining before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. See, Joel's day speaks of great trial, a hopeless landscape of darkness and devastation. But then thanks to the Lord's mercy, thanks to the Lord's intervention, a day of restoration and a day of renewal and a day of hope. And unfolding these words from Joel, even more for us to understand, Jesus promises the same thing in our verses this evening. He says the famines and the frustrations of our world will not be permanent. There is a great and awesome day coming when creation will begin anew as Jesus himself arrives to gather his people to him. They will see the Son of Man coming, verse 26. They will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. This will be an event that lights up every single skyline. Every single eye will be turned to view the return of Jesus. And he very deliberately refers to himself in these verses and throughout Mark as the son of man, the one we read of in Daniel, the one to whom is given dominion, glory, a kingdom in which all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him, as Rachel read out for us just there, a dominion which God describes in Daniel as everlasting, 
a kingdom which will not be destroyed. See, this world in which we live will one day come to an end, but the kingdom of Jesus never will. Shortly in Mark's gospel, he will die in what looks like a moment of real weakness. But the promise of his return will be a day marked by power and glory. And the Son of Man isn't returning to challenge the authorities of this age to a fight. The Son of Man isn't returning as a distant relative laying claim to a contested throne. Let's not ever imagine this to be a fair fight. Jesus returns having been handed this world by God the Father, handed the people of the earth by the Ancient of Days, given this universe, given his dominion and kingdom forever. He is coming to collect what is his, which wonderfully includes you and me. Wonderfully, he returns to collect his people from all over the world. Verse 27, read with me. He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. This is an international gathering of people from every tribe, every nation, from throughout the ages, gathered together by his angels to love and to praise him forever. It's a really beautiful picture, I think, uh, a promised moment in the future where one broken, sin-ridden era ends and a new era begins, one in which Christ is king, uncontested, unchallenged. One fallen creation is darkened as the lights are turned off, as the curtains come down, to be replaced by the blazing glory of the Lord and his everlasting kingdom. See, Jesus will bring despair to an end, destruction to an end, division to an end. He will not have them as features of his new kingdom. Fallen rulers replaced by the eternal, everlasting kingdom of the Son of Man. A divided world, alienated from one another so routinely over race, ethnicity, age, gender, replaced by a dominion where all gather together as God's elect to be a part of the age that is to come. He wants all of these things, all of these tribulations to be distant memories rather than present features. And so he will make that happen. See, the return of Jesus doesn't simply restore this world to its factory settings. It makes it even better. It promises us an everlasting unity, a unity to one another and a unity with our God. The unity, the peace that our king always wanted us to know and always wanted us to experience. Now that picture, that promise of Jesus' return, of the end of this age, that keeps me awake. See, it replaces my spiritual slumber with an excitement and a carefully placed optimism that we're going to see lasting change, that we're going to see the king return. Not because we've worked really hard to bring it into reality, not because we have forged a better world ourselves, but that all of the aches and pains of this world will one day come to an end and will only ever come to an end when Jesus returns and makes all things new. Now that means it would be so foolish of me to seriously invest my identity or seriously invest my purpose into a world 
that is due to one day be completely renewed. I shouldn't ever be excessively shaken or affected by the things I encounter in this world, but nor should I ever cling onto this world in a way that makes me drowsy or lethargic for the world to come. That would be to risk falling in love with something that just is not going to last. It would be to rob me of my spiritual joy. It would be to rob me of my spiritual stamina for the glory of what is to come. See, staying awake means understanding every single day that our world is temporal and will be replaced by something better, so much better one day, something everlasting, something that Jesus delights to bring into existence, something that Jesus delights to share with us. And so my roots into this world, this side of that era, only ever go so deep. That's the first thing for us to see this evening. Stay awake, this age will end. Secondly, Jesus' return is imminent. Verses 28 to 31. Know that Jesus is coming soon. Let me read those verses again. Please follow along with me. Verse 28. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches, as soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. When I lived in Edinburgh, prior to coming in St. Andrews, we saw locals, uh, sorry, we locals uh, would have been out and about in Edinburgh and we'd have seen the trees on the meadows come into leaf every single springtime into incidentally what was the most spectacular cherry blossom, which is well worth seeing with your own eyes if you ever get the chance to across uh, the meadows in Edinburgh. And those trees coming into blossom, that was a clear sign to us all that across the world, visitors, tourists were packing their cameras, heading to airports, and that the madness of the summer and the madness of the fringe was on its way. And Edinburgh would soon look very, very different. And the lesson for the disciples this time from the fig tree is that as you get closer and closer to the summer, the fig tree shows you that the summer is near. Its branches become tender and it puts out its leaves. You can observe the fig tree and you can think summer is near. Summer is almost here. And Jesus says, similarly, as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ, the return of the Son of Man, the world in which we live shows us that his return is near. We can observe the world and think Jesus is almost here. He says, verse 29, by these signs, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. See, as the Jews looked at the gates of Jerusalem and saw the arrival of Rome, so the Christian looks at the gates of this world and sees the return of Christ. As the church looks at the persecution and the pain of living in a fallen world, we glance just over their shoulders, just beyond them, to see that Jesus' return is imminent. The branch really has become tender for God's people and for God's church. The leaves are well and truly out. 
as these things we face grow worse and worse, it means that Jesus' return draws steadily closer and closer day by day. And all of these things that his followers would face would be things that his immediate followers would face 2,000 years ago. So he says to his people in verse 30, his disciples there who were listening at the time, truly I say to you, this generation, the disciples then, will not pass away until all these things take place. So everything that Jesus describes here, all of the pain and persecution of his people, that's not something that only future generations of Jesus' followers will experience, but those guys there, they'll experience it for themselves. He wants them to be fully aware of which is soon coming their way. The erasure of the temple, the suffering they will endure. But he wants his people to remember that these things are daily reminders, stark reminders, but daily reminders that he is at the very gates, waiting to come back. And when that happens, verse 31, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. See, as sure as he rose again, as sure as the temple was destroyed by Roman armies, as sure as his people hurt, so we can know the assurance of his return one day. The Son of Man would not have got all those predictions right just to get this one wrong. He promises us that the only thing that will last in their exact form from this era into the era to come, from this world into the renewed world, will be his words, proven to be true time and time again. I can imagine us in that renewed world, I think probably often smiling at each other, saying to one another, he was right, wasn't he? His words really did last the test of time, didn't they? Our king knew exactly what he was talking about. His words will not and did not pass away. And his words in these verses give the church and our world a reason to groan with hope. The clarity, the witness of gospel churches is clearly becoming increasingly opposed, diluted. We feel the strain of a fallen creation and a sinful humanity daily, all of which can make us feel like Jesus' return is surely further and further away somehow. But Jesus assures us that in reality, actually, the opposite is true. When we feel those aches and pains, every single moment in which we are pressed, it's a reminder for us all to wake up to the reality that Jesus' return is not looking further and further away, but is actually looking closer and closer. In these moments, he is not distant. He is not forgetfully far off but he reassures us that he is near. He is at the very gates and he will return imminently. See, as we listen to his words, we realize that Jesus seems to think that it's less significant for his people to know the exact date and time of his return. And instead, it's more significant for his followers to be in a ready state for the return of Jesus. We're not to know the exact date. We're not to know the exact time. But there is plenty for us to be doing in the meantime. And that leads us on to the third thing for us to note this evening. And so with the remaining few minutes that I have, let's look at the last six verses or so. Jesus says, stay awake and get on with the work the master has given us. Stay awake 
and get on with the work the master has given us. Three times in verses 32 to 35, Jesus gives the answer to the question that the disciples originally ask in verse 4 of chapter 13. He says to them, first in verse 32, concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father. Then again in verse 33, you do not know when the time will come. Before he says it again in verse 35, you do not know when the master of the house will come. It always astonished me how many false teachers over the years were so able to mislead people with a very specific prediction of when Jesus was going to return. So many cults, so many false gospel movements that I've read about online, that I've watched on Netflix, as I'm sure you have too, are built on an exact knowledge of the return of Jesus, exactly the date when it's going to happen. Any claims like that seem such an easy thing to debunk if you read Mark's gospel. It's the one thing that Jesus repeatedly makes clear in these verses, is that we are not to know the date that he will come back. But what we are to know is that in the meantime, there's loads for us to do. See, in verse 34, Jesus is the man who has gone on a journey, leaving home, putting his servants in charge, each with his work, and commanding the doorkeeper to stay awake. When I had a a part-time job at university, there were several points in the year where the store owner who lived half the world away would return to see how we were all doing and to make improvements to the store. He was a nice guy. And I can tell you that during those moments as an employee, when we were told that the master was coming back soon, we were extra careful to get on with the jobs that we had been assigned to do. Not out of a sense of fear, but because there was plenty to do before he came back. And so Jesus says to his followers that he is coming soon. His reminder to us in the meantime is for us to get on with his work. His return is unknown, but it is imminent, closer today than it was yesterday. And so his people are to stay awake and share the gospel. See, through the long watches of the night, it could be tempting for us, I think, to drop our guard. Hence Jesus' warning here in Mark chapter 13. The warning in these verses, verse 36, is that when Jesus returns, he will find us asleep, having not been exercising the gospel responsibilities that he has given us. Now we know that from the gospel, thankfully, neither our own salvation nor the salvation of others depends on how much we work. Salvation belongs to him and to him alone. But any believer, I'm sure, would want our master to return to see us as a church in a state of active readiness, sharing the gospel with one another, proclaiming the gospel to all nations as we stay awake and wait for his return. He has given his people a responsibility to carry on the gospel work that he was doing, calling people to repentance. And our privilege as we await his return is not to dig bunkers and wait out the storm, but instead to partake in the work that he commissions and empowers us to do until he returns one day. And so we as his people should be awake every day, ready every day to keep faithful in our witness 
and to endure to the end. That is the work that he would have us do until he returns. And so Jesus says, stay awake and get on with it. When I was a lot younger, I I used to go to a holiday club during the summer at a, a local church on the south side of Glasgow. And this is an encouragement to all of us who are involved in holiday clubs. The songs that you sing are songs that somehow manage to burrow themselves into your head and never ever quite let you go. And you're still singing them 20 years later. And the words of one song in particular, as I was thinking about Mark 13, really, really stuck with me. And I'll share them as I, as I finish. I can't sing the first two lines because they're slightly heretical. So let me just skip those and go, God has prepared a place for those who trust him and obey. Jesus will come again, although we don't know when. The countdown's getting lower every day. 10 and 9, 8 and 7, 6 and 5 and 4, call upon the Savior while you may. 3 and 2, coming through the clouds in bright array. The countdown's getting lower every day. That's our encouragement as his people. He is returning soon to bring an end to this era and to usher in a new one, a renewed world. And in the meantime, our privilege, our joy as his people is to turn to the world and sing, call upon the savior while you may. Let me stop there and pray for us as we close. Father, we thank you for the wonderful gospel promise that this world is not the final chapter of our lives, but that the Son of Man will return to gather his people to him and to fully install his kingdom, his dominion forever. Thank you, Father, that we will know that reality as your people. And we pray that in the meantime, you would help us to stay awake. You would stop us from being deceived by anything that is false. You would stop us from being discouraged by anything that hurts. And help us instead, Father, to get on with the work of the Master, to proclaim the good news of the gospel to the nations until Jesus returns to gather them to him. We thank you for him, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.